you may recall last week our pastor went missing. We found him in Kentucky, and uh, we brought him back, and he was able to spend some time with mom. As I said, we had that plan for a while. It's always good when you can go home and spend time with mom. Those are cherished, um, cherished days. Well, fathers, it is good to see all of you here this morning. Um, I don't know if there is one in here, but uh, in the first service, I had the opportunity to talk to a young man, and it was, it, was, it was his first Father's Day, and the brother was just a glow, sitting there feeding his baby uh, right down there. It was wonderful. But it is, uh, it is special. Um, I had a gentleman on Thursday ask me a question. He goes, Alan, he goes, on Mother's Day, man, we roll out the red carpet, we give them flowers and candy and perfume and gift certificates and all that, but man, on Father's Day, we get a roasting. Well, let me tell you, that ain't happening today. Didn't happen in the first service, it's not going to happen today. Today is actually a day of encouragement. Um, I'm going to challenge you and everybody, uh, it's all of us, but uh, but men, at the, as we wrap this message up, I have some questions uh, that that we uh, need to answer, but we do it in community. So uh, thank you, fathers, for the, the the calling that you have accepted and the job that you do. Where would we be without fatherly figures um, in our lives? Well, I want to open this message up and mention this truth. I, I suppose it's true. I don't know of anybody that I have ever encountered, myself included, that wakes up in the morning with a desire that, oh boy, that this day is going to bring me difficulties and hostilities. I simply cannot wait. I've never met anybody that woke up wanting that, okay? However, if you have been with us any length of time in First Peter, you realize that because you and I claim the name as a follower of Jesus Christ, that we will sometimes get kickback from the culture. Um, it is quite possible that there will be hostilities that come against us and that sometimes it can be absolutely miserable. And because of that, Peter gives us some wise instruction. Now, you may be thinking, he says, okay, Alan, I have heard all about the, the persecution. I have heard about this, and I've heard about that. I think by now that we've got it. But I want you to hang on for a little bit longer because Peter is building on the what and the why of the persecution, and I am thankful that we would get to that on this Father's Day. So he is encouraging us in the midst of the trials that we face because of our allegiance to Jesus Christ. So with that said, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter, and we're continuing on in chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 12 through 19, and I would invite those of you that are able, if you would, stand and honor the reading of God's Word. It's very, very, very applicable for us in 2019. And so this is what Peter tells his readers then and the audience today. He says, Beloved. Now notice... He's going to talk about persecution, and yet he opens it up with the word beloved. He's addressing us as beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes up on you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. 
If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name, in this name. For it is, t- for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if... It is with difficulty that the righteous is saved. What will become of the godless man and the sinner? And then finally in verse 19, Therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Let us go before the throne. Father, as you are on your wonderful throne of grace, the throne of mercy and the throne of love, We thank you for this opportunity to open your word that we would learn from it. Father, there is much in these verses. Father, that is fitting that we on Father's Day would be here as fathers, potential fathers, future fathers. All of us would learn from this. Father, I ask you that earthly fathers would call upon their heavenly father and the role that you have given us, and that we would learn from other fathers that are making a go at it, and together we can fulfill that role that you've called us. And Father, for all of us, as we walk in the midst of a, of a culture that is opposed to you, I call upon you to help us stand. These instructions give us courage, so that wherever we find ourselves, we proclaim your name with kingdom courage. Father, be with us. Speak through me that I do not speak in error. As always, we give you all the glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You may recall that Peter is writing to believers that are in a Christless culture that are under the leadership of Christless leaders. And because of that, these believers are facing persecution because they are different. They're not going along with the theme of the day. And when a family member, particularly a parent, would would come into a a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and and they would be saved, that family would, would by necessity change. And then when a believer would go out and promote Jesus Christ and the culture and the community in which they lived, there would be people in the community that would simply be outraged and they would say all manner of things against the believer and his family. They would make things up. They would bring legal accusations against the believer and they would brand them, get this, as guilty of hatred toward a civilized society. Sounds just like 2019, doesn't it? The only thing we're doing is dressing it up a little bit prettier and putting some lipstick on it. It is the same junk that is going on. So, ladies and gentlemen, what is Peter telling us? There is a price to pay for following Jesus Christ. And because godly lives in the culture then and there and the culture here and now, when we go out into the culture by our the way that we conduct ourselves, we confront 
that world by our actions and our attitude, and it is a consciousness that is distasteful for a culture that absolutely despises what we do because we're different. And when you claim the name of Christ as the reason that you're different, you will oftentimes be an offense and you will be despised. So I want to say it again, ladies and gentlemen, there is a cost to following Christ. And so Peter, because of all of that, Peter gives us some very wise countercultural counsel. I want to say that again. Some very wise, it's opposed to the culture, counsel on how it is that we are to live our lives. And he starts out in verse 12. And so look there if you would. He, he opens up and says, Beloved, do not be surprised. In other words, don't let this catch you by surprise at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. The point Peter is making is that Christians are supposed to expect persecution from the culture in which they live in. And in fact, we should be to the point that we are not surprised by it as if this is some weird or strange thing that's taking place when this hostility comes our way. He's saying it is inevitable, and really we should be surprised if we go through this life unscathed without any opposition. Notice how Paul tells it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. It'll be up on the screen. He, notice how he says this. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is a truism that from time to time you and I will face persecution. And so, what is this that you and I are not supposed to be surprised at? He refers to it as a fiery ordeal. And I mean, what in the world is that? Well, you may remember that gentleman named Nero, who was the, the leader there in Rome. Uh, he was not a nice guy. He would, from time to time, he would take Christians, he'd tie them up, and he would wrap them up in a garment that had been dipped in a flammable liquid. He would impale them on a stake, and he would set fire to them to light his garden simply for fun. And so that can be a fiery ordeal that Christians, now nobody wants to do that, but if it happens then and there, or we are persecuted in a similar manner here and now, it is not supposed to catch us by surprise. Perhaps it could be referring to, remember how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fiery furnace, and they said, oh, king, uh, our God is sovereign. We will not bow a knee to you. And oh, by the way, if uh, Yahweh doesn't rescue us, we will not surrender to you because we're going to go on to glory, and you're going to be down here worrying about this. And so they would not surrender to that. They walked in, and they, they were in allegiance with God. Or perhaps it could be, in 64 A.D., um, around the time this letter was written, Nero set fire to Rome. And there was this big uproar, and he blamed it on the Christians. And so the persecution is just ramping up and up and up. And so Peter is telling us that because of our affiliation with Jesus Christ, we are not to be surprised at the persecution that you and I face in 2019. And when it does happen... When it comes and when it hits us and it, and it catches us off guard, he's telling us, you and I need to be careful. We need to be careful so that we're not 
tempted to be going, going around questioning God, saying, God, do you care? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you, do you see all that I'm having to go through? Why is this happening to me? And we have to be careful not to let our circumstances cloud our understanding of the goodness of God. So Peter is telling us, don't be surprised. Expect it when the culture kicks back. And so, what is this persecution that he's talking about that we're going through there as if the fiery ordeal wasn't enough? The persecution that Peter is, is beginning to clarify now is that the persecution that comes our way is a time of testing, that God is allowing there to be a testing of those that claim his name as a validation that our faith would be substantiated and that when it withstands the test, and that means that you and I are the real deal. We are validated as followers of Jesus Christ. And so when you and I are tested in that situation, we sometimes can succumb to the temptation of compromise, that we might cave into the culture. But ladies and gentlemen, when we persevere through, we are proven as genuine, and what the world can see is a Holy Spirit-enabled strength that we can stand up, and when the culture then and there, then and today, sees that we can put up with the mess, and we have a humble attitude, the only thing that they can point to is a sovereign God that is empowering us and enabling us. So in the midst of persecution, we can glorify God in all of that. And so he is telling us the persecution's coming, but we need to have the right perspective in the middle of it. We need to understand what it is for because the Christian faith never promises you and I immunity from the culture. It never promises immunity from maybe government interference. It never promises immunity from people meddling in our lives. But the Christian faith does promise that God will walk through us in the middle of it, as we're going to see later on. So if we have that right perspective that Peter is talking about, then we can begin to make sense of verse 13. Look there if you would but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice in exaltation. So Peter is telling us things that make no sense outside of an understanding of what a sovereign God is. What we just read when there's persecution and we're to rejoice, that makes no sense in this world. He says, expect it, don't be surprised at it, and in the middle of it, rejoice in it. So, what are we looking at when we're talking about the sufferings there that he's talking about, the, the sufferings of Christ that we're to reflect upon? Christ, of course, was perfect in all things. He never sinned. He was God encased in human flesh, and he faced all the temptations that you and I could ever think of and more. 
And he took the weight of all of that temptation. He took the weight of all the sin. He took the weight of all that we did and more. And they nailed him to the cross. And he died there paying a price that you and I deserved. And while they nailed him to that cross, and while they hoisted him up up on that cross, the people around him were mocking him as he was dying for them. They were mocking God there in human flesh. And so when we're persecuted, when you and I are persecuted now, and we're facing persecution because we stand for Christ, get this, you and I are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And the text tells us in the midst of that suffering that we're to keep on rejoicing. Now, did I hear that right? You and I are to rejoice in suffering? That doesn't sound like any fun. Well, if you'll remember last week, that we live in the here and now because of our understanding and our perspective of the future. We know what is coming. So we live that way now. And this verse is in view of looking to the future. So we understand the suffering in the context of how Peter frames it. And now get this. So when Christ is revealed, when he is finally revealed in glory at his return, and we've gone through all this suffering, we've gone through all these trials we will be able to stand up and in the top of our voice, we will be able to claim to God that every bit of what it is that we went through was worth it because we see Christ for who he is. And I say, oh God, thank you for counting me worthy to suffer on account of him, to bring him glory so that I could be a witness for him. Thank you. If I had to do it all over again, I would. And that is what we're saying here when we are to rejoice. So right now, Jesus is glorified in heaven. He's there in all of his glory. But there's coming a time where the watching world and the mocking world and and the apathetic world will see him glorified when it is that he returns. And then all of creation will at that point understand who he is. And then at that point, you and I will be rejoicing at his coming. And so in the middle of it all, knowing that he's coming, in the middle of the persecution, in the middle of the hostility, in the middle of when you don't feel like you can go on any further, we have to remember that it is an immense privilege. It is an awesome privilege to share in his sufferings because it is granted only to those who are his to share also in his glory when he is finally revealed. That is only granted to believers. Unbelievers will not share in his glory. They're going to be on the receiving end of wrath. But if you are his, you will share in that glory, and it will be a wonderful time because you are his child. And so with that mindset, verse 14 continues. Peter's long from done. And he says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Without getting too technical on this particular verse, the way the sentence is structured, something has to happen before the next thing in sequence can happen. In other words, A has to happen before B, or B will never happen. Let me give you an example. Let's... Say that you want to run the Boston Marathon. Okay, in order to 
to be successful at that, you have to exercise diligently. You have to run. There has to be a meticulous schedule where you increase your, your run times and all running and all that other stuff. You have to have the proper diet. You are going to suffer through many sore joints and muscles, and you're going to suffer through many blisters. Okay, All of that has to happen. We have to go through all of that. If you don't do that... If you don't suffer through those things, you will never be able to to complete the race and you will never be able to win the prize. So you have to go through that before you can ever you can ever make it. And so we have to go through that or we will not make it. So what this conditional is clause is telling us is is that you and I must endure the suffering for for what? Because we are privileged so that the glory of God and the Spirit of God rests upon us. And so in the midst of it all, ladies and gentlemen, when you want to go in your backyard and scream and you don't feel like you can hold your head up anymore and you feel like you're at wit's end and you can take it no longer, we have to realize that it is the sovereign of the universe. It is the glory of God that is sustaining you and carrying you in a special way. Left up to yourself, you won't make it. Left up to yourself, you can't deal with this world as a believer in Jesus Christ the way God wants you to. We have to go in the power of God. And it is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, Romans 8, 11, that rests upon you in the midst of it all. And so it doesn't matter what the world throws your way. It doesn't matter what a devil from the deepest pit of hell comes at you. He cannot ultimately harm you because the Holy Spirit of God rests upon you. And ladies and gentlemen, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. And so that is where we are as a child of God, where we're going through the midst of it. You know, me, the first thing I want to do is bellyache, whine, and complain daily. I've got to get over myself. I have to learn. Oh, my Lord, when I was reading the text, I was begging for forgiveness because I sure don't have this figured out, okay? I am learning, so please walk with me in that. But ladies and gentlemen... If you and I are, are, are hitting it on all, all eight cylinders and we're doing that, Peter gives us a warning, don't get a little too, uh, too in, infatuated with yourself. He warns us in verse 15, he says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. He's saying that as a believer that we should never bring suffering up on ourselves because of our sin. There's no glory when we are guilty. So we are to keep our lives aligned with the things of God. And so he tells us not to be a murderer, which is the, the, the taking, unlawful taking of, of an innocent life. And you say, well, praise the Lord, there's something in there that's not talking about me. Don't be too quick. Look in 1 John 3.15 up on the screen. He tells us there, everyone who hates his brother. Oh, we're talking about a heart issue here, okay? It, it, we we got to check that. Who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Ouch. So if you've got a mad own to the point of maybe hate, I know that's a harsh word. That is why we're supposed to get our hearts right before we sit at the Lord's table. He doesn't want that in our hearts. That's why we give that over to him and ask him to close that door so that emotion wouldn't come back. So a murderer, well, what about a thief? You may say, well, I've never stolen anything in my life. Well, let, 
What if we were to take a magnifying glass, and I'm going to go ahead and say this, don't throw anything at me, to the last 20 years of your tax returns? Oh, did you ever round the edges off anything? Just a little bit. You know, all the government doesn't need all that stuff. I mean, they're going to waste it on stuff I don't want them to spend it on. Well, remember Jesus said in Matthew 22, 21, that we are to render under Caesar what belongs to him, which means that we are to give to the government what is due. And if we aren't honest there, that, that is stealing. What if we ever stolen someone's character, their reputation? We sometimes do that. And then let's not forget the one who deliberately does wrong. And then let's not forget the one who meddles in other people's businesses. And you say, okay, Alan, I've got it. I understand fully what you're talking about. If you do, do you see what I'm talking about and what Peter is talking about and all the other biblical writers are writing about? There is no escape clause to living the Christian life. You don't live the Christian life with the intentionality that you're going to punt or the intentionality that you're just going to give the ball away or that you're going to fumble. There is no escape clause for living the Christian life. And when we're living the Christian life, Peter goes on to clarify the suffering that you and I can face there in verse 16. Notice how he says it. He says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian... He is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. If you and I are out in town and we are representing Christ and we're not stirring up any trouble, not causing any trouble, and you and I suffer because of representing Christ in this community, there is no shame in that. So when we represent Christ and and the world comes against us, we have to realize that there's no shame even if it resulted in the loss of a business, it meant the loss of your reputation, the loss of a home, desertion by your parents, because sometimes people will come to Christ and their parents will desert them because They're not living up to what the parents think they ought to be living up to. Well, let me just go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, The kingdom of God uh, is much more concerned with your allegiance to to your heavenly father than your earthly father, okay? So let's just go ahead and get that there. Don't let your parents keep you out of the kingdom of God because you're going to follow them. Don't follow them. Okay, you may be deserted by your children. Your children say, well, mom and dad, you're not any fun anymore because you're not letting us do this and do that. And you're trying to drag us to that church down there and singing songs that we don't know. Your kids may try to abandon you. And I'm going to talk about that at the very end of this message. You may be abandoned by your friends. You may encounter hatred. You may be thrown in prison. You may even go to death. But guess what? In the midst of all that, when you have the power of God, you can glorify God in the midst of all of those trials. And for the person who does that, who stands up, God's glory rests on that individual. But for the Christian who is suffering because of their own sin, there is no glory in that. There's only embarrassment. It is about the choices that you and I make. Our choices have implications. Our choices have repercussions. And so the reason that you and I need to live by or have a biblical ethic woven into our DNA is because in the here and now, 
there is judgment. And there is judgment to come. Look in verse 17. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter contrasts the suffering here of God's people in this life with the sufferings of the wicked in eternity. So the suffering is a believer in the today and the suffering of the, the ones who reject Christ in, in eternity. And he says there is an immense difference in the severity of the suffering and the duration of the suffering. Now remember last week from verse 7, he says that the end of all things is near. Verse 17 is anchored in that understanding. And he's saying that in the church age, from Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 to a future uh, uh, rapture, what he's saying is, is that the, the believers are going to undergo judgment and persecution from an unbelieving and a hostile world. We're experiencing our suffering now in the here and now, just as Jesus experienced, but to a much greater degree, suffering when he was on this earth. And you and I are not, regardless of what goes on, in any part of the world, in Washington, D.C., in Burnham, Texas, or in your neighborhood, it doesn't matter what's going on. You and I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are not under the condemnation or the judgment of God. We are under the world's condemnation. Let me give you an example. Look on the screen at Romans 8.1. It says... Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? When you're in Christ Jesus, you're not going to receive condemnation from God. Oh, the Holy Spirit may spank you from time to time, but you are not under the condemnation of God. And then look at John 5, 24. This is what Jesus said. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, as eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. So that what you and I are experiencing now, okay, from the cultural nubhead or from the person who wants to persecute you or whatever, that is not the judgment of God. It is a testing, it is a trial that you and I will go through in the midst of the world's judgment. And as we saw in verse 7, that is coming to an end, and it lasts but for a short while in regards to eternity. So you and I will suffer for just a little bit for a little while. But verse 17, the end of that verse, asks an important question. Look there, if you will, at the end of verse 17. It says, and if it, that is judgment, begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If you are in this audience this morning, I need you to listen to me. And if you have not said yes, and, and you're going to know, if you have not said yes to Jesus Christ, I need you to hear me. What you're saying is amen to yourself. Because you are the highest authority and the highest good in your life. Because when you say no to your creator, what you're saying is, is no to his provision. You're saying no to the cross. You're saying no to the resurrection. You're saying no to God. You're saying no to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you're saying no to a future resurrection. And whether you know it or not, you're holding your hands up and you're pushing God back. And what is the outcome of that? It is eternity 
of separation from God, it is eternity away from Him. With that in mind, he continues in verse 18 with this line of thought with another question. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man or woman and the sinner? You realize that salvation was, was not easy. Now, it, it was easy for you and I in the sense that all we had to do was surrender. I realized that I was, uh, I was sinful and I needed a Savior and I knew who that was. I knew so very little. It's amazing that I can talk to some of the children in this church and they know more about Jesus Christ at 8 and 10 years old than I did at 29, okay? But, but I knew who he was and I knew that I needed him. But yet, salvation was immensely difficult to bring about. I mean, think of all that Jesus Christ had to go through, all that he had to endure, all the pain and suffering, the rejection, the mocking, and all of that, so that you and I could be forgiven and set free. And only a, a one and only unique sinless God-man could accomplish that in the way that he did. And now that you and I are saved, it is not always easy. You and I have to make choices that sometimes upset and irritate people because we don't compromise with what they want to do. It's not popular. We don't go along with the prevailing theme of the culture. And we may be, because of that, on the receiving end of kickback or continued hostility. And so Peter said that every bit of that is for our benefit because we are tested we are validated, we are refined, and in the midst of it, we have the opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ. And when you and I walk through it, ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of the turmoil, the Bible is telling us that it is the glory of God that rests up on us as we're walking through it. Not so for the one who rejects Jesus Christ, who says no. Oh, guess what? Their road right now is pretty easy. It is a wide road leading to a very wide gate. It is so inviting. And as you look up ahead near the gate, everybody is cheering you on and saying, come on and join us. You're the life of the party. Let's go have fun. Let's, let's party for eternity. Let's do all of that. When you say no to God, you're saying yes to your wisdom. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't need that. And so when you go through that and the world's inviting you, you're going to go, if you continue down that road, when you get through the gate saying no to Jesus for the last time, notice how I'm phrasing it, when you say no to him for the last time, you're going to go over the edge into the abyss and you don't need that and you really don't want that. It is a choice that we make. And so for us today who endure the suffering, the persecution, the hardship, and all of that, those difficulties, as unfun as they are, Peter's telling us we need to see them, is that they are validating us, refining us, and getting us ready to spend eternity with God. The choice is yours. All you have to do is come with the empty hands of faith, and he'll take you just as you are, but he won't leave you just as you are. And then finally, Peter tells us in verse 19, Therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So when you and I are persecuted because we don't compromise, 
with what the world has to offer. Peter's telling us that we are not to blame God because he is sovereign and he understands it all. He knows it's not fun. It is okay to tell him it's not fun. He knows it. And it's okay to have that conversation with him. But as we're having that conversation with him, and we have, we have followed this along in First Peter and other epistles and letters and all that in the New Testament, we realize that we have to entrust all that we are to him because he looks down from heaven and has a much bigger picture at what is going on. And in the midst of all of that, things that we don't see and can't understand, he has privileged you and I to be involved in it in his great master plan of revealing himself to this world. And so he, in all of that, he is describing who it is that we're in allegiance with. He refers to God as, as a faithful creator. That's an interesting way of describing God. You know, God was not lonely and he was not sad and didn't need you and I. Now, there's going to be some people out there that are going to tell you that. No, because God was wholly sufficient then, and he's wholly sufficient now. But he loved us enough to create the heavens and the earth. He was faithful enough to create it in such a way that those of us who are created could live in such a way that we could come to know him. And he was faithful that when the best representatives of the human race rejected him in the garden, and he is faithful when his chosen people rejected him, and he is faithful that he came after us in the person of Jesus Christ. He was faithful to take all of our junk and mess to the grave. I'm sorry, to the cross. He was faithful to come up out of the grave, and he's faithful to give you the word of God today. And so when we are facing what it is that we're facing, we never have to second guess that God because he is always faithful and he created us because he loves us. So with all that said, from the past two weeks, this is how you and I are to live. We're to walk in sound judgment. You and I are to have a sober spirit so that we're not intoxicated with the lure of the world. We're to have an unhindered prayer life. And we're to, to love others in such a way that covers a multitude of sin, and that's not always easy. And we're to be hospitable to those inside the body and even to complete strangers. And as we're doing all of that, we are employing the gifting that God has endowed us with to follow through with what he wants us to do, become that which he wants us to become, and grow the body. That's why he gives us that, that gifting. And when we live like that, that prepares us so that we're not surprised when the world throws trouble our way. We can expect it and, and, and not think that it is something odd and realize it for what it is. It is for testing and validation that we are authentic and we're the real deal. And in the midst of it, ladies and gentlemen, we grow, we mature in the testing and we walk through it. We, we keep our focus on Christ. We keep our eyes on him, expecting his return, anticipating his return, living as if he was coming later today, 
And then when we see him glorified, we, we rejoice in his coming back, looking back that we, we had to walk through all this suffering, but we rejoice and we look back and say, oh, God, thank you that you included me in that, and the only way that I could have ever made it is because I walked in the light and submission to your Holy Spirit, and I'm, I'm praising God all the way. And a life that, is, that has that mindset, that has its DNA on display every day, it keeps keeps your heart and your body and your mouth and your tongue and your actions. It keeps everything in alignment with the kingdom, and we don't surrender to the cravings of the world, and we don't embarrass ourselves. And when we do that, we glorify his name and all that it is that we do. We endure hardships, but for a little while because it's coming to an end. And then we find our final rest in him, and the reason that we can do that is because you entrusted your soul to him. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what the persecution and the, and the temptation and all that that we face that comes at us, it is to test us, to validate us, to refine us, to mature us, to grow us so that we can stand up and glorify God as we look forward to his return. Now, if what I just said doesn't make sense, if it's just not coming together, it's quite possible that you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ. Last week I said your day could start today. And if that describes you, if you have not made that decision, fathers, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, please don't leave today without your family knowing that you have committed yourself and your family Christ. That is the greatest Father's Day gift that I could think of, that, that you would surrender to him on this day. And so if it doesn't make sense to perhaps a mother or a teenager or, or somebody, please don't leave here today without the Lord in your life. Well, it is Father's Day. Would you show that image, girl? It is Father's Day. And as I said, I am thankful for my father and the fatherly influences that were in my life. They were many. And today is a day that I, we want to encourage men. We want you to know, fathers, that we stand with you, we care about you, we love you, and we want to do this together. We want to, we want to work together so that we are doing what we can do to shepherd our families and raise our children in the training and instruction of the Lord. But we need each other in order to do it. I want to share something with you, and I have permission to share this statistic. You're, you realize that we have the jam ministry that's going on, and there's 160-plus kids that, that come from all over the community at Krause Elementary, and it is wonderful. It is incredible. Only God could pull that off. And in, in the build-up to that, we have... Uh, missionary counselors that are that are sitting over there that, that you were introduced to a, a few weeks ago. And we also have what's called a protege or a protege. And they assist the missionary counselors and the leaders in, in, in loving on the kids. Now, these young men and young women are between the ages of 13 and 16. They could be off doing something else. They could be running the roads, getting a suntan, hanging out at the aquatic center, doing all myriad of things. But they, these young men and young women have chosen to be involved in ministry to where they would be mentored and that they would mentor children that are younger than them. Some of them 
are repeating this each year because they want to be in this environment. So this is an honorable choice that they have made. Well, when they come in, we have to interview them. We have to find out, you know, uh, the one that, that the, those that God wants us to utilize. And so we interviewed 32 of these young men and young women between the ages of 13 and 16. And I want to read one of the questions that we asked them. It's really a two-part question. It says, can you think of a person in your life who is a good leader? And you would name that person and you would have to say, why are they a good leader? So we interviewed 32 of these young men and young women between 13 and 16. Only three listed a father. 29 listed somebody else other than a father or their father. And so these young men and young women are coming into this environment saying, rain on us the things of Jesus Christ so that we can teach other kids. And we have these young men and young women that are looking for a fatherly figure and they were not able to name that. So men, this is not a roasting service. I, I, please understand this. What this is, it is recognition of where the world is at. And so we can start today by encouraging one another, walking with one another. And if you're saying, I don't know what I'm doing, well, you know what? There's going to be somebody else that's going to say that. And the only way that we can learn is if we will get over ourselves and humble ourselves and walk with other men and other couples to encourage us so we can learn how to do this together. And ladies and gentlemen, it, it, it takes opening this thing. It's called the Bible. And we learn the truths that are encased in it. And we do that together. And so, fathers, future fathers, those who want to be fathers, grandfathers, stepfathers, mentors, men, those that God has called you to shepherd and pour into and love, make this Father's Day the day you say, you know what, I've, I've messed it up. I'm still going to mess it up, but today I dedicate it that I am going to be a fatherly figure to those that God has surrounded me with. And I'm not going to go alone. I'm going to do it with the other men. And I will listen to counsel from godly women on how to do it. It's okay, men, to get wise counsel from wise ladies on how to be a godly father. It is okay. Don't let pride get in the way. So that men, we lead out. And we begin to change inside the church. And we begin to change in the culture. You know, revival started because a, a bunch of people got together and prayed in the Northeast years ago. Revival in this community could start out if the men, if the fathers would get together and father accordingly. So as the altar comes open, perhaps you want to pray as a father or pray for your father. Uh, perhaps... You, you don't know the ultimate father, which is God the Father. Maybe there's things you just need to let go of. Well, this altar is open. Tim and I will be here and others will be here to pray with you and encourage you and love on you, walk with you and help you. So fathers, I want to say to you, Happy Father's Day. And I want to say that this church stands ready to love you and encourage you. And... 
During this time of prayer, I would ask you to pray for the fathers that they would lead out well. Would you please stand? Oh, God. Our Heavenly Father, the task of being an earthly father is not easy. It's not simple. Sometimes it's very unappreciated. It gets little recognition. It's difficult. We mess it up. But that's what you have called us to. Father, help us love on and encourage the earthly fathers that are here. So that perhaps, instead of three out of 32 saying that their father is the influential leader, that number would go up. It's got to start today. So help us, Father, that today would be a day of encouragement. That you would bless the men that are heavenly fathers as we acknowledge you. Father, I thank you and I love you.